This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, we are starting parts of Ayala 5783. The Pusik we're talking about is a super exciting Pusik. It's Lamed Aleph Tas, Perak Lamed Aleph Pusik Tas. Vayichtov Moshe's Torah Zos. Moshe Avinu wrote down this Torah. Vayitna el Kohanim b'nei Levi. He gave it to the Kohanim, the sons of Levi. I know some as Aron Hashem, those who carried the Aron Bris Hashem. The Kohanim used to be the ones carrying it, as we'll see in a second. The El Kol Zikne Israel, but not only them, but also to the elders of b'nei Israel. They're the ones who received it as well. So Rashi says the following: and Moshe Avinu finished writing the Torah. Not yet, because we're not. When I finish, Vayelach is the third to last parsha. But after he finishes Hazinum and Zosabracha, he then gave that Torah to his Shevet to Shevet Levi. The Ramban says the exact same thing. When they're finished, that whole Torah will be going from Bereshis all the way up until Le'enei Kol Yisrael was given over to Shevet Levi, and that's after it was completely done. The Sifzeh Chamin says one might think that Moshe only gave his Shevet Sefer Devarim. Because that was what they had to tell the people, the Musur of Moshe Rabbeinu, maybe the Shira mentioned at the end of the Parsha, Hazinu, maybe that's what he gave over to Shevet. And comes Rashi and says, no, it wasn't just that, it was the whole thing. From Barashas till the end, it was all given over to them, he gave it to his Shevet, and that's what he told them to be able to do. Now, conspicuously, it is conspicuous, because you look at Rashi, he ignores the fact that at the end of the Pasuk, he mentions Ziknei Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't just give it to his Shevet, he gave it to the elders of Bnei Yisrael. But for some reason, Rashi doesn't mention that. He just says to his Shevet. So that's something that obviously takes a little bit of work. Let's go on for right now. At the end of Parish Mishpatim, Parakhov Dalit, Pasuk Zayin, we read that Moshe Rabbeinu began writing down the entire Torah. Now he did. He wrote the Torah up until that point. It definitely was safer Bereshis, most of Sefer Shmos, maybe not the Egel, because the Egel hadn't happened yet, but most of Sefer Shmos, and possibly even all of Sefer Vayikra, was all written down on Dalid Sivan, two or three days before Matan Torah. Now that Torah was written down over there, and we have a shear about that, where what Moshe Rabbeinu wrote down at that time, what he was able to give, etc. According to Rav Hirsch, Rav Shamshin Rafal Hirsch, and this is based on the Abar we'll talk about this in a second, Moshe Rabbeinu considered the Torah finished at this point here. All of it had been written down up until the end of Ayikra. And then as time went down, they kept writing down, or they wrote everything at the very end, whatever it was. But he thought that Parshas Vayelech is the end of the Torah. He had no idea that Parshas Hazinu was going to happen, that he was going to get this weird nevuah of all this song about what was going to happen in the future. And he certainly didn't think his own brachos would make it into the Torah. He assumed that Parshas Vayelech was the end. So unlike Rashi and the Ramban, who say when Moshe finished the Torah, he gave it to Shevet Levi, so it's sort of like a future thing, it's more like right now, Moshe assumed it was done. This was that. Later, he was commanded to add the Shira, to add the song, and his final bracha, Hazinu and Vizosa bracha, the next two parshios, and that was amended to the Torah. Maybe that's not the right word, uh, an addendum to the Torah. Maybe that's the right word for it. I don't know what, what the right word would be. But either way, but it was added to the Torah afterward. Now, again, it's the same question the Rav Hirsch is answering that bothered Rashi, the way that the Gorari puts it. The same question. How could he have finished the Torah and given it to the Levium if Hazinu and Vizosa bracha had not been written yet? That's why Rashi and the Ravon said, yeah, he did it later. That's what they say. And the way that he's saying it, Rav Hirsch is saying it right now, it's that no, he, what he thought was the end, 
That's when he gave it over. And then he realized, and he looked over to Shevi Levi, and he's like, wait, 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 we still got to do two more things. He wrote down Azir of Bracha and gave it back to them, and that's what happened. The Abarbanel also rejects the Ramban and Rashi over here. He says, Moshe Rabbeinu truly thought the Torah was finished at this point. The bris had been made with them. The 613 mitzvahs had entirely been given. Parshas Vayelch is the end of the 613 mitzvahs. Either Parshas Vayakel or the Parsha of Ksiva Sefer Torah, whatever is the last mitzvah, right, had all been given. So it's all done by now. He assumed that this would be the end of the Torah. There's no reason to mention at the end that Moshe Rabbeinu died. This would be a good ending right over there. So that's the idea of what he said over here. The Avarbanel says the exact same thing, that him and Rav are in the same boat. They mamish thought it was the end, and then a Kaddish Baruch who said, nope, I want you to add it on. But there is a Sforno. The Sforno says that really what was given to Shevet Levi was not the entire Torah, or the Torah up until that point. It was Parshas HaMelech for the king to read by, by Hakel. What he gave to the Levium was for them to then give to the king by Parshas Hakel, which, by the way, is going to take place this year, as it usually does. It takes place every year. But this is Motzei Shvius, the year after Shemitah. This is when the king, if we had one, would read it. I think every year it's the president that reads it. I think it's Herzog that's going to read it this year. I think they do it on Oshana Rabbah. I don't remember exactly when. It really should be done right after Simchas Torah, right after Shemini Atzeres, I should say. But I think they do it on Oshana Rabbah. I don't know exactly when. But he gave this Parsha, therefore, to the Sanhedrin, the Chazan and Knesset, who would give it to the Rosh. Shekinesis, who gave it to the Kohanim, who would then give it to the Kohen Gadol, who would hand it to the king to do this mitzvah, says this Sforno, that's what he was giving. Now, what was it? It was Sefer Devarim. Maybe some people here have the minhag, we have it in our shul, to read Sefer Devarim, from Devarim, Eilahad Devarim, all the way until the end, on Hoshana Rabbah night, as part of Tikkun Lel Rosh Hashanah, to Hoshana Rabbah, I'm sorry. There are people that do that. All right, the guy here can land in a, an hour and 15 minutes, I think. I think that's, that was the record. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Fastest thing I've ever heard before in my life. Yeah, and he's a very quick one also. That's a very, very quick person. But I don't know if they're quicker than this. This is super duper quick. I've never heard that. Well, you should drag race them. I think we should time it. We should time it and see what ends up happening. But that's a Sforno. Okay, so that's a third opinion now. We got Rashi and the Ramban. We've got Rav Hirsch and the Abarbanel. And we have this Sforno. Now, the Aznaim Torah says, I don't understand. The beginning of the Parsha was talking about the instructions to Yoshua. The end of the Parsha goes back to the instructions of Yoshua. And then we interrupt with this, this idea idea of writing the Sefer Torah and Yahakil and everything, why continue Yoshua afterward? Why not? Why are we interrupting Yoshua with all this? It's not the Torah says an unbelievable answer, and it's going to lead to a lot of what we're going to say soon within the rest over here. We think that Yoshua's job is to lead the people into Eretz Yisrael, fight the wars, defeat the enemies, and that's that. That's how we picture Yoshua's job. But that's not Yoshua's job. Yoshua's job is to make sure that B'nai Yisrael had Torah that they were learning properly. The Malach that came to greet him, if everybody remembers, right, toward the beginning of Sefer Yoshua, right, the Malach that comes to greet him with his sword outstretched, stretching out toward B'nai Yisrael, was mad that they weren't learning Torah. He said, Atabasi, now, I came for right now. I don't care what's been happening before. You're not learning right now, he said to Yoshua. Yoshua said, I'm in the middle of a war. What do you want me to do if I'm in the middle of war? What am I supposed to do? And he said, right, but Atabasi, I'm here because you still have to learn. Your job is to teach them how to learn. In the first parak of Yoshua, he's told two things, which are obvious. But You have to learn day and night. And You can't remove it from your mouth. That was Yoshua's job. And therefore, it, this is the perfect time to say, Yoshua, 
Yeshua, you have to lead the people. By the way, make sure they learn. Moshe Rabbeinu wrote down the Torah, the king will say it out to the people, and then we go back to Yoshua leading the people. Because that is the definition of Yoshua's job. That's the idea behind it. The Me'am says that this was not the only Sefer Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote. He actually wrote 13 Sefer Torah. In, in Devarim Rabbah, Tes Tes, Perak Tes Alacha Tes, it says he wrote one for every Shevet, obviously splitting up Ephraim and Menasha, and gave one to Shevet Levi. There's one that went to Shevet Levi and one for every Shevet. And those are the Zikanim that were mentioned over here. Each one was for learning. There were going to be, one was going to be safeguarding the base of Mikdash. That was the Sefer HaZara that was given to the Levium. But the others were there for learning. And therefore, every Shevet were then permitted and maybe even required to copy it over and over and over again so that everybody would have it and they'd be clear in their mind. The Levium, the Kohanim, and Sanhedrin are men- Mentioned in the Pasuk because their explicit job is to teach it to everyone, to give it to the people themselves. But that's the idea, says Miamloi. Miamloi says that it was given over to the people at this point, 13 of them altogether. If you wonder how in the world did Moshe Rabbeinu write 13 Sifre Torah in one day, okay, it could be miraculous. That's a possibility. It's a possibility that it was all a massive nace. And then we don't ask any questions, especially if he died on Shabbos and he was writing them in the last day of his life, which was Shabbos. That's a hard one, right? That would be difficult. However, it makes much more sense to me to say the way that Rav Hirsch set it up above in the Abarbe. Now, and really, this is based on a Gemara Ksufas Dafsamakamabes, that really Moshe Rabbeinu wrote most of the Torah already. Meaning, from Bereshis up until somewhere in Devarim had already been written down in some way, shape, or form as things were happening. Bereshis through Vayikra might have been written down just on Harsinai. Right, so Bamidbor was written over the Midbor, and then obviously Eila HaDevarim was from the 36 days before Moshe Rabbeinu died, from Rosh Chodesh Shvat until Zayin Adar. Mistama, he put it down, he wrote it down, and they, then he wrote down 13 times Sefer Devarim. It doesn't bother me so much. And to say that on the end of his life, he wrote down Hazinu and Vezosa Bracha, that also doesn't bother me. So I'm not bothered by how did he write 13 full Sifrei Torah on the last day of his life. He didn't. He finished the 13 Sifrei Torah on his last day of his life, which makes a little bit more sense to me. But again, if it's miraculous, it's miraculous. Maybe he wrote all 13 fully on the last day of his life or the day before the last day of his life. Either way, there's enough machlokism out there to be able to go through. Even the Rabbeinu Ephraim says that the words Vayichtov Moshe Esa Torah, Vayichtov is written without a vav. Okay, Vayichtov, but in between the tough and the base, there's no vav. Vayichtov Moshe Esa Torah is a gematria of 1800. That's a good gematria. It's a long gematria, but it's good. It's the same gematria as Kosav Yud Bey's Sifrei Toros. It's off by four, but it's okay because there are four words there. So listen, if you're off by four and it's that big, you're fine. You're fine. If you're off by five, I'll give it to you. Okay? I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that. But it happens to be it's there. But either way, I think there's another way of writing it down. It, it, it's interesting that the gematria is because of Yud Beis instead of Yud Gimel. But maybe it's that he had to write one and he just added on. I, I'm not sure what exactly he means by that. The Shach says the reason why Moshe had to write all 13, and he couldn't just tell everybody, hey guys, why don't you copy your own? I'll write one and everybody copy their own, is because he wanted them to see it in his own handwriting. Right? That would make it easier for them to learn. It would be Kovea something inside them. As the Ben Ishchai says, the more that you see your Rebbe, 
the more you get what he's trying to say. Meaning, the Ben Yishchai even has his picture on the front of many of his farm, so you can see his face, you can see him as if he's, he's saying it in front of you. Rabbi Yudah Fatayah, his Talmud also has a picture in the front of his Sefer, the Minchas Yudah. For that reason, it would be an easier thing. It's a way to remember something. So Moshe Rabbeinu writing it down in his handwriting would allow them possibly to remember it better if you were down. So specifically, he wrote them, says the Shach. He didn't tell them to copy it. He wrote them himself. The Bechor Shor, one of the Balitos, says, we don't know where this Torah was placed. Was it placed inside the Aron Kodesh? On the side of the Aron Kodesh? On a platform near the Aron Kodesh? Was it in the Argaz that the police had, that the Ben Chai says in the Ben Yoyada? Was that it? This Machlokis is from Baba Basu, Yodalim, and Aleph. But either way, that's what happened in the Sefer Torah afterward. Siv Sechalamin. He asked the question that I asked you before. Why are we only mentioning, why is Rashi only mentioning that he gave it to his Shevet, to Shevet Levi, when really the Pusik says clearly he gave it to Zikne Yisrael. He gave it to the elders. It says it so clearly in the Pusik that he also gave it to the Zikane. Why is Rashi ignoring that? So he says an interesting thing. He says, Shevet Levi had a very clear job to teach Torah to the people. Yoru mishpatecha liyakov. Everybody knows that's the bracha of Levi from Yaakov. Yoru mishpatecha liyakov. He will teach your mishpatim to Yaakov, to the rest of the people. Yaakov, uvasa ala koanim alavim, the Pasuk says. You will come to the koanim, the levim, and they will be able to teach you the Torah. The job of the levim, the koanim and the levim, was to teach B'nai Yisrael. See, here's what happened according to the Medrash. And he brings this down. The Miam Lois brings this down. The rest of B'nai Yisrael then complained. They said, what, were we not at Harsinai? They went up to Moshe Rabbeinu. Did we not go to Harsinai? Were we not involved in the giving of the Torah? Why is only Shevet Levi getting the Torah and not us? We want the Torah like they have the Torah. Why can't we have the Torah just like they have the Torah? So Moshe Rabbeinu said, what's the problem? You know, they're going to be the teachers of Torah, so they're going to have it. What's the big deal if you guys don't have it? They'll get it, they'll give it to you, and that's that. Said B'nai Yisrael, you don't understand. There might be a time later on where Shevet Levi claims they're the only ones that received the Torah on Harsinai. They'll claim you weren't there. And here's the proof, you don't have the Torah. You didn't get the Torah, it came to us. We're the ones who were at Harsinai and you weren't. That's what they might claim. So because of that, they said, we don't want them to claim that. We don't want them to make that claim. So they said, give us our own Torah. So Moshe Rabbeinu accepted that argument. He said, not a problem. He gave them each one Sefer Torah each for each one of the 12 Shvatim, one Sefer Torah that went to each one of them. Right according to the Ibn Ezra, this was the Sanhedrin that got it together, but it makes a lot of sense that they ended up getting it together. Now, don't tell me that's a bogus claim. That's a bogus claim. Because this mamish happens at the end of Sefer Yoshua. At the end of Sefer Yoshua, Ruvain, God, and Chatsi Sheva Menashe leave Klau Yisrael they go across the river where they had their land on the east side of the Jordan River, right? And they build a Mizbeach. Now, the people are upset. They're like, what? They went over there. They built a Mizbeach. We have a Mishkan. Right here, you can't bring a Korban outside of the Mishkan. What's going on? The Mishkan at that time was set in Gilgal. You couldn't bring a Mizbeach. You couldn't bring a Korban outside of the actual Mishkan, which was set in place. Soon it would be in Shiloh, etc. But you can't bring it outside anywhere else. So they said, what's going on here? They went to Yoshua. Yoshua sent Pinchas to go check out what was going on, what was happening with them. Pinchas brought representatives from all the other tribes. They all went across the river. They met with delegation from Ruven Gad and Chatzashev and Menashe. And they said, we're afraid that your people in Eretz Yisrael are going to claim that you, Ruven Gad and Chatzashev and Menashe, who live outside of Eretz Yisrael, have no chilek in Eretz Yisrael. You have no chilek in Akadosh Baruch Hu because you live too far away. 
We were afraid of that. So we built a symbol that we belong in Eretz Yisrael. And the Mizbech is a symbol, not for sacrificing. It's a symbol that we really belong inside Eretz Yisrael and a sign for all of us that we're part of Klal Yisrael. We see that concept. Pinchas accepted the answer. There was no bloodshed on that day. There was no civil war that day, right? And everything worked out well. But you see the concept of they were worried about what people would say, right? So therefore they took it into their own hands. Now, the time of the crow, Rav Kanyevsky says, although it's not explicit, this probably is the Sefer Torah that was placed near the Aron Kodesh. We learn above Avasu Yodalim and Aleph, like we just said up above, which is why the Kohanim were involved here. They were the ones who were the only people to see it. The Sefer Ha'azara, as it's called, was placed inside the Kodesh HaKadoshim, near the Aron Kodesh, in the Aron Kodesh, whatever it was. And the only person who ever saw it would have been the Kohen Gadol when he came to take it out on Motse Shvius to give it to the king to read for Hakel. That would be the only time it was seen. It wasn't used otherwise. It was only during that time itself. The Rambam says in Hilchus Malachim, Paragimel Halacha Aleph, that the king would write his own Sefer Torah and correct it according to this Sefer, which means that the Sefer was somewhat accessible. And whenever the king wanted to write a Sefer Torah, whether it was David Melech or Shlomo Melech or Chizkiel Melech or any of the kings, he would bring it out, bring out that Sefer Torah, and it would be the one Sefer that everybody would correct from, and that's that. That required the Sanhedrin to be there, which is why the Zikanim are included with the Quran. Even though the Kohanim are the ones that saw it, the Sanhedrin helped the king write it, and therefore they're all involved to make sure that the Sefer Azara was put down in the right place properly. Yeah. We said the 13, the other, thir- the other 12, but yes, this is the only Sefer Torah that we officially have a record of called the Sefer Azara, which is also the Sefer that Ezra used to correct everything else. Whether we had it later on, if it was hidden with the Aron Kodesh, when the Aron Kodesh was gone, it was by Yoshia, right before the destruction of the first space mixture, we don't know. But likely this Sefer still exists in some way. No, we don't have that. Unfortunately, we don't have it. Unfortunately, we don't have it. The Panim Yafos, the Hafla, says on page 907, there was one issue with this Sefer Azara. One issue with it. Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the entire Torah, including the end, up until the last eight psukim. Now, we've talked about this before, that the last eight psukim, the Gemara Baba Vasu, Yudad on Aleph, was said it was written bidema. Bidema. Now, seemingly, that means with tears. Moshe Rabbeinu saw that he was going to die, and he wrote the last eight psukim, Bedema, in tears. That's what it sounds like. The Shlach Kaddish, as well as the Vilna Gon and the Baal Shem Tov, they, they say that the word Bedema really comes from the word Dimua. Dimua means a mixture. A mixture, for example, of Chuma and Chulin. So when we say that this Sefer was written Bedema with tears, it really means the last eight psukim were jumbled. The mixture of letters, the letters were written out of order in different ways. So he would not write the words Vayamas Shum Moshe straight, because Vayamas Shum Moshe is past tense and he died, when really it hadn't happened yet. So he wrote it jumbled, and that's what it is, it was impossible to read properly. They needed the Kohanim B'nai Levi and the Zikanim with them to tell the king exactly what to write. Because when the king brought out the Sefer Torah, everything was straight except for the last eight psukim. Yoshua corrected those last eight psukim, and every other Sefer Torah had the last eight psukim the way that we have it. Vayamas Shamosha, Vayalel Harnevo, etc. All of those psukim are exactly as we have it today, is the way Yoshua wrote it. But the original Sefer Torah, what you called, Raph, the Sefer Azara, never had the last eight psukim 
jumbled back. They were always, so to speak, out of order and in a totally different order from what it was right over there. That's why everyone had to be there when the king used the Sefer Azar to correct his Sefer Torah because he wasn't sure what to write. That's what the Haflah says. What an unbelievable thing. As a side note, by the way, I said that the Gra and the Baal Shem Tov both say this word. They both say the following. They say, when that last day Pesukim were written, that Moshe wrote them, Bedema, the Gra says that Yoshua was able to figure out what the words were and put them into order, meaning re-jumble them into what we have by Yamash Moshe, our last day Pesukim. That's why the Gemara over there says Yoshua wrote the last day Pesukim. Others say Moshe wrote a Bedema. It's really not a Machlokis. It's both of them all together. And then the Baal Shemta says that they, they made themselves. They went back to being their own. Like the letters reassembled themselves. That wouldn't work with Afla. But it's a true Hasidic Javort, that the words took care of themselves and nobody had to do it. Right? It was unbelievable. That's that. Now, and the Chizkuni and the Bahor Shor say, although at the time when Moshe Rabbeinu was still alive, Shevet Levi was Kahus who was carrying the Sefer Torah and the Aron Kodesh, I'm sorry, not the Kohanim. So why was he giving it to the Kohanim who carried the Aron Bris Hashem? They were not the ones who carried it. Nonetheless, the Kohanim were about to carry the Sefer Torah, the Aron Kodesh, keep saying the Sefer Torah. The Kohanim were about to carry the Aron Kodesh. When they crossed the Jordan River by Yoshua, when they crossed over, it was the Kohanim that carried it across, not the Kohasim, who originally were the ones in charge of that. That's the idea why. So they're called the carriers of the Aron for what was about to happen. Or they were the ones who made sure that the Levium carried it properly. They were there when the Shevet Levi went to go carry it. So they were there at that time, and that's the idea behind it. The Barabbas saw this, says, according to Rashi, that the Kohanim and Levium were both there, but they went in order of Chashivus, Kohanim, and then Levium, and then the Zikanim. It's Labdafka, the actual Kohanim. It really meant that they were before the Zikanim. The Malbim says, although the Kohanim didn't actually carry the Aron Kodesh, there's another reason why the because they were the ones who received, removed the parochas and put it back in place, allowing Shevet Levi to go in to get the Aron Kodesh. Without the Kohanim, the Shevet Levi wouldn't be able to carry the Aron. So that's why the Kohanim are mentioned, because they facilitated Shevet Levi carrying the Aron Kodesh. That's the idea behind it, and that's how the Malbim puts it over there. That's why they're mentioned. Where Hirsch says, such an auspicious occasion to the, the, the occasion of handing over the, the first the first original Sefer Torah, the fully finished Sefer Torah, to the Kohanim and Levian was so important, the Kohanim were asked to carry the Aron Kodesh at this time. Even though normally it was Shevet Levi, but this time Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to hand the Sefer Torah to everyone, to the people, with the Aron Kodesh present. And he wanted the Kohanim to carry it. So the Kohanim went to go carry the Aron Kodesh out. They brought the Aron Kodesh to Moshe Rabbeinu. And then Moshe Rabbeinu handed this Sefer Torah to Shevet Levi in front of the Aron Kodesh. And just like at other times, in important times, the Kohanim were the ones that carried, like by the splitting of the Jordan River, so too over here, I said splitting, but really the, when the river went up, so too over here, that's the reason why the Kohanim had to be involved, even though they weren't necessarily the ones to carry the Aron Kodesh. It was really Kahas, even though the Kohanim were part of Kahas, it was really anybody from Shevet Levi that could have been involved over here. Is Rabbi Yonas and Ibshitz over here? A very interesting Tiferes Yonas. I don't know if anybody's seen this Tiferes Yonas before, but he says the following: We know that David Melech was punished for saying the words "Zmiros Hayuli Chukecha." Your laws to me are like songs. Your laws, the Torah, is like a song to me. Now David Melech was punished. Says the Kaddish Baruch you're calling my Torah songs. That's what you're calling it? You think it's just a bunch of songs? Like, I'm a songwriter, and that's what I'm doing over here? He was upset. A person is supposed to toil over Torah, right? HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, toil over it, not treat it as a zemer. So he was punished. Anybody know what he's punished with? I have it written down over here, so he's really cheap. But he's punished to forget the halacha 
And when they brought the Aron Kodesh to Yerushalayim to bring it to Ir David, he forgot, instead of carrying it like the Levium always did, he put it in a wagon. And they carried it in a wagon to Yerushalayim. And we all know what happened. Uh, uh, um, Uzzah reached out his hand, tried to catch the Aron Kodesh when he thought it was trying to fall, and he died. Right? He kept it by, uh, by Kiryas Aron which is now Telstone, he kept it there, right where Devei is, of course, right, right in that area, right, kept it there for many, for, for many years, until finally he was ready to bring it back to Yerushalayim, to bring it back, it could have been a year, but either way, regardless, they brought it back right over there. Says to Faris Yonason, how is that Mida Kenegi Mida? He, right, called it Zmiros, so he was punished to bring it on a wagon? Well, where's the Mida Kenegi Mida in that? She says, because the Aron is supposed to be on your shoulder, why do you carry the Aron Kodesh on the shoulder? The Badim, the poles, would be on the shoulders of the Kohanim. Why would it be on the shoulders of the Kohanim? Right? And the answer is, is because it's supposed to be something that's a burden. It's supposed to be something that's weighing you down. Like Yisachar Hamor Garam is a strong bone donkey, Yisachar. He's the one that carries the Torah. Now, if it's a songbook, if it's just Zmiros, then it's something that you could just throw in your wagon. Just throw it behind you as if you couldn't care less about it. Just put it somewhere. You don't need to try to toil to put it on top of your shoulders. You could just put it over here. So it makes sense, says Rabbi Yonas and Ipschitz, that that was David's mistake. The mistake was exactly what he thought about it. He called it Zmiros and not something you carry on your shoulder, not something you toil over. Then ain't Nami. It'll just be carried in a wagon, just like a regular songbook. And that was a mistake they made. Yeah. The Aron Kodesh is different. Yeah, the Aron Kodesh is different. I mean, we've never seen this Sefer Azara. So, like, I mean, we haven't. No, see, it's no stuff. Right, exactly. So that's why. There was, right, it, it, you really don't need anything. It actually carried you. So instead of it being on your shoulder, you felt yourself being lifted up by the Sefer Torah. It's as if, like, a magnet pulling you up off the ground where they didn't need to move at all, right? All they had to do is do the effort of trying to move and the Aron Kodesh moved wherever you wanted to go, which is unbelievably cool. Imagine having a moving escalator underneath your feet where you didn't have to worry whatsoever and everything just went along with you. That's amazing. It's actually what happened. When the Jordan River went up, right, and in Yoshua, and the Jordan River went straight up, it didn't split. It's not like the Kriyas Yamsuf went like they had. The Jordan River, instead of flowing downstream, it started flowing upward and kept going up and up and up and up and the rest of the, str- the river just literally dried out completely. So B'nai Yisrael then crossed over just on dry land because the river completely stopped as the river kept going up. The Kohanim had their feet inside the area where the Jordan River once was, right? Once, once everybody crossed over, then, Mo, then Yoshua allowed the river to go down. So the river came down. It didn't come crashing down. It went down as if it was continuously flowing. It like continuously flowed right there. And the Kohanim were now standing in the river where they were one step behind outside of the river and the river flowed there. So how did they get over? So the craziest thing. They flew over, according to Chazal. They just flew over. The Arun carried them over the river. They didn't have to worry about that, right? Everybody else needed to worry how to get over the river, but they themselves were just carried straight over. So yeah, that happens all the time. Rabbeinu Yoel, the rooms of Rabbeinu Yoel says that the Pesach hints the fact that how we call people up to the Torah. How do we call people up to the Torah? The first person we call up is a Kohen. Then we call up Levim. And then we call up the most Chashuv. Usually Shlishi is the most Chashuv person in that shul. Right, that's what it's supposed to be. That's why the Pesach says, Kohanim, and then B'nai Levi, and at the end, the Zikanim. The Zikanim are that, and that's how we go in order. Now, he goes through a couple others, why 
fourth, the fourth aliyah and the fifth aliyah, sixth aliyah. It's really interesting. I, I'm not sure I totally get it. That's what the Rabbinic Yol says, but he says a crazy, crazy answer over here. You can look it up yourself over here, but regardless. Then Itziv mentions it as well. He says it's a drush. It's learned from this Pusik. The fact that it didn't say that it says the word B'nai Levi instead of Halavim because it's B'nai Levi. It's Kohanim, then Levi, and then afterward you call up Yisrael and it's going to be the Zakanim. Those are the ones that get up there. The Tzrora Mor says the point behind the Pusik was to say that Kester Torah is not like Kester Kuna, Kester Malchus. Kester Malchus, I'm never going to get. I'm either from David Melech's family or I'm not. That's never going to leave David Melech. Kester Kuna, I'm never going to get. I might be a Bechor. I may be a Bechor Petarechem, right? And if a Bechor can also serve, then maybe I'll also serve in the base of Mikdash. But I'm not a Kohen. And I'm never going to be a Kohen, right? That's not going to happen. <coughs> Excuse me. Kester Kuna and Kester Malchus are theirs forever. Kester Torah can be acquired by anybody at any point. And that's why we call up B'nai Levi, Shevet Levi first to be able to get it. To say, that doesn't mean the Torah was got to given to them, because the Zikanim are mentioned right afterward, and they're going to give it to the people itself. The Zikanim are mentioned at the end to represent Kla Yisrael, to say that it's not just Shevet Levi. Kesser Torah could be taken by anyone. As the Rambam says, anybody who wants to be Shevet Levi and dedicate their lives to Torah is allowed to do so. They're allowed to do so. That's the understanding that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote 13 Sifrei Torah in that day, that he gave it over to everyone. However, hold on, this is a big one. There's a Sefer Meshachachma. Meshachachma was written by Rameir Simcha of Davinsk. He lived late 1800s, early 1900s, passed away, I think in 1910. Somebody might have to correct me on that. Around that time, right, he wrote two famous farm, the Or Sameach and the Rambam, which is an unbelievable Sefer, which everybody has to have when learning Gemara. And then also the Meshachachma and Chumash. And the Meshachachma was a brilliant Sefer, a brilliant Sefer, with Lumdus put into these almost like five liners, right, in Divrei Torah, almost Chassam Sofer-esque in the way that he understood Psukim, and yet a very, very different, like, it's just a different method from everybody else. At the same time, when the Nitziv and Rav Hirsch and the Malbim, the Ksav Kabbalah are going through Pasuk by Pasuk and trying to understand a certain way of understanding Psukim, comes along the Rameir Simcha of Devinsk, the Or Sameach, and he writes this Sefer, which is absolutely unbelievable. He says the most unbelievable thing here. And I never heard this, I think I have heard it before because I did it before, but like, I haven't, re- I didn't remember this at all. When I saw this, I was like, oh, right. This is like, I haven't seen this in years. Says the Meshachachma, the Kohanim, Levim, and Sanhedrin are put there on purpose. In Sanhedrin, it says that Ezra Sofer decided to change the Ksav of the Sefer Torah. The Ksav of the Sefer Torah used to be Ivris, which is a type of lettering that I think they have. It's a weird type of lettering. And he changed it to Ashuris, which is the block letters that we have in our Sefer Torah today, the same basic block letters that you have, you know, from any font that you basically have, you know, the art scroll font, like what I, it's basically the same. Those block letters is called Ksav Ashuris. Why was that? Why was it originally Ksav Ivris? And what made Ezra decide to change it into Ksav Ashuris? Brilliant. It says originally the Torah was only given to those people who would be able to understand it properly. The Kohanim, the Levium, and the Zakanim, and not to the people. It was never meant for all the people to have it. It was taught mostly in Yerushalayim 
That's where the Torah came from. It came from Yerushalayim itself. And anybody who wanted to push themselves to be able to learn had to go to Yerushalayim and live there and learn under the masters of the Torah who lived there at that time. We see that by Rebbe Eliezer ben Horkinus in Avos to Rebbe Nassim. It's in Perik Tes, Perik Vav Mishnah Gimel, where Rebbe Eliezer ben Horkinus, in order to learn Torah, knew he had to go to Yerushalayim. He couldn't stay in his city. He knew he had to go to Yerushalayim in order to learn it properly. There were huge yeshivas in Yerushalayim. They attracted the greatest minds. And it happened to be that the Torah was written in Ksavivri for that reason. No one else understood it except those who were taught it by the Chachamim of that generation. And that meant that a regular Stam person, he could have been a great person, but regular people had no access to the Torah. Imagine that for a second. They had no access to it. They couldn't read it. They wouldn't be able to read it at all. So they wouldn't be able to claim that they knew what they were talking about and argue with the Chachamim because they literally didn't know anything. Now, what did the Chachamim then do? They taught the people Torah Shaval Peh. So everybody learned Torah. You still have the concept of Torah Shaval Peh. They understood halachos. They understood certain ideas that came from the Torah. They did that by looking at each other and understanding things and even memorizing a lot of parts of the Torah itself. But at the time, they didn't have the Torah Shabbat accessible to them. It was in Ksav Ivri. It was almost a foreign language. It would be like reading Chinese. And you're looking at it and you're just like, I don't know what this says. But the rabbi said that we have to do X, Y, and Z. And that lasted for many, many years, where only the greatest minds were the ones who were actually learning the Torah Shabbat That was the first base of Mikdash. First base of Mikdash, you see a phenomenon that you didn't see by the second. You saw people that were unbelievably great. And you saw people that were unbelievably evil. There was no real in-between. Because there, there were people who learned Torah and listened to the Chachamim and did everything the Chachamim said. And the people who didn't just went off completely. They had no Torah to hold them back. And they didn't learn Torah Shabbat Pet properly. So in the end, they had nothing. That's what ended up happening. They were completely off. It's an idea that goes through it. But then came Ezra Sofer. He saw the Jews scattered everywhere after the destruction of the first base. He saw what happened in Gullus Bavel, where people intermarried just like that, and they had no problem with it whatsoever. And they knew they were, basic, they were forgetting basic Torah concepts. Basic Torah concepts, because they didn't know how to read it, let alone learn it. They had no idea what they were doing. That's why he changed the Ksav to Ashuris, says the Meshachachma. He changed to Ashuris, something that everybody understands, so more people could do so, and they would do it. Now, the challenge was exactly what ended up happening. Now that you had it in Ksava Shuris, it was more accessible. And this really, by the way, as a side note, is really the challenge of Art Scroll Gemaras. On the one hand, Art Scroll Gemaras opened up a world to people who never would have been able to learn otherwise. My father never would have been able to learn Gemara. He's about Shuva. He never learned Gemara in his life when he was growing up. He started when he was 21 years old, 20 years old. So how is he going to be able to learn Gemara? But he's finished Shas two and a half times already. He's in his third time going through Shas through Dafyomi. Why? Because of Art Scroll. There are tons of people who learn from our school. But on the other hand, there are people now who claim to be experts in Gemara because they learned it through art school. There are people who never would have had access to it and never would have done anything, but they think they are experts in it and they can paskin and they can do whatever they want because they have access to these farms. So on the one hand, it's unbelievable. You're getting more people to learn. On the other hand, you're getting people to think that they're greater than they actually are. Which one's better? Is accessibility better or is the ability there? So Ezra Sofer decided accessibility is better. We're writing Ksavashuris. I want people to know what it is. I want people to be able to understand it. But look what happened by the second base of Mikdash. Tzedukim popped up. Baisusim popped up. Kusim became popular. Judeo-Christians got up there. All these sects of Judaism that rejected the rabbis because now they could read Torah Shabbat Sav. They read Torah Shabbat Sav and they looked at it and they're like, yeah, I don't think the Torah means that. 
And the rabbis are like, no, 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 you're not understanding it properly. They're like, you're not understanding it properly. Because I can read, I know what this says, and that's not, what you're, that's not what you're saying. I'm looking at this, and that's not what you're saying. And the rabbi's like, no, you don't understand. We have a Masorah. We have a way of learning. We've been doing this for a hundred years. You don't understand, right? This is the way we understand things. They're like, no, I've been through it. I understand it. Get out of here. And now all of a sudden you have sects of Judaism that pulled themselves away. In the first place, you didn't have these sects because they didn't exist. They were just off. And granted, okay, that's a bad thing in and of itself. But this was the negative that went with the positive. The positive is that more people knew it. The negative is you had people that were out there. As a result, they were able to read it for the first time and they messed it up for the first time. Even so, it was the right decision. Ezra Sofer made it with Ruach HaKodesh. Possibly Nebuah, although we don't see Ezra as a Navi. He definitely made it with Ruach HaKodesh. Therefore, Chazal praise Ezra. They say if the Torah was fit to be given to him, if it wasn't given to Moshe Rabbeinu. If Moshe Rabbeinu wouldn't receive the Torah, Ezra would receive the Torah. Because Ezra gave it to the people the same way that Moshe Rabbeinu gave it to the people, and possibly for the first time. Do you understand that? It's the first time they ever had it. This same Machlokas is in the Gemara and Brachos, the famous Machlokas of Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Lozman Azariah. Rabbi Gamliel got into a fight with Rabbi Yoshua about Arvis, his Marav or Rashus That was the fight between them. And Rabbi Gamliel was taken down in the base medrash and they took him out. They said, who should be the new Roshiva? Rabbi Yoshua can't be. Rabbi Akiva can't be. Rabbi Lozman Azariah. They put Rabbi Lozman Azariah in. Rabbi Lozman Azariah invited everyone back in. They added benches that day. 400 benches, 600 benches. Tons of people came to the base medrash. Tons of people came in that were never there before. Why? Because Rabbi Gamliel held, you have to, to learn in a base medrash, you have to be tochol kibaro. Rabbi Gamliel held that it should be in Ksav Ivri. Don't give it to everybody. Don't make it accessible. Only give it to some. And maybe it was based on what was happening at the time with the Romans. Who knows? It was a hard time for everybody at that time. We were talking around, around the times, right before the Bar Kokhba rebellion, but after the destruction of the second base of Mikdash. Maybe Rabbi Gamliel turned it back and said, Ezra was wrong. Let's go the other way. Rabbi Gamliel came back and said, no, we want everybody to learn. This is mamish der machlokas. Mamish der machlokas. Right? And that's that. Rabbi Elizabeth argued when he became Nelsi. He allowed people to get in. And even Rabbi Elizabeth's drushos revolve around these ideas. Why do we do hakil? Why do we do hakil? The men are going there to learn. And the women are going there to listen. And the babies are going to give scharlam in. He's explaining the why. There's five drushes, Meshachachma says, from Rabbi Lozman Azari that explain the why of something, because that's what he did. He made it accessible. He explained to the people what was going on to help them to be able to understand. And that's why the Gemara says brilliantly, Rabbi Lozman Azariah, he's Asiri Ezra. He's the 10th generation from Ezra. He may have been actually the 10th generation of Ezra, but he was like Ezra. And there's even a Yushalmi Yavamis, Parak Aleph Allah Chavav. This is when Bidosa saw him. Rabbi Dosa saw Rabbi Losman Azariah. He recognized him as a 10th generation from Ezra, and his eyes were similar to Ezra. Rabbi Losman Azariah, your eyes are similar to Rabbi Losman Azariah. Well, how is that possible? What does that mean? His eyes were similar to Ezra. Because the same way that Ezra saw what was happening, Ezu Chacham, who's a wise man, a Roa Esenolad, who sees what's going to happen in the future and worried about Klau Yisrael. So Ezra made that decision. Rabbi Elazar Azari made that decision as well. He saw what needed to be done and he did it. I, I don't know, you know, I can't judge anything and hindsight is twenty twenty, and I don't even know if we're in hindsight just yet. But I would say that the risks, the benefits outweigh the risks of what our school did. Our school literally opened up a brand new world a brand new world that people would have had absolutely no access to. Who's right? I don't know. But that is the line of Rabbi Elizabeth Nazariah and Ezra. Ezra Sofer. And that's what they did by turning into Ksav Ashurits. Again, the Pasuk mentions Kohanim, Leviim, and the Zikanim. 
So I can understand someone saying, but the Pasuk says, this is what you should do. Give it to them. They'll have access. Nobody else. That's what the Pasuk tells us to do. I totally understand someone who says that. But Ezra argued, Rabbi Elizabeth and Azariah argued, and it seems like that's the way that we've Paskin today, that we've allowed people to have that access and allowed people to be able to get back inside here, which is an unbelievable thing. There's two last things over here. I, I don't, and we don't have enough time to be able to do it. We'll stop with here right now, but there's a Tzofnas Paneach that I found that's absolutely unbelievable. I don't know if you guys knew this. Sefer Azara had all the Ta'amim and the Nekudos and everything inside there. Meaning it wasn't just the Sefer Torah that we have today. Moshe Rabbeinu put in all the Nekudos inside there so we could read it properly, as well as all the Ta'amim, you know, the Pashta, Munach, Zarko, whatever, was inside the Sefer Azara. I'm sorry? Yeah, it was like a Tikkun. That, that's what he had. According to the Saknas Panayach, the, the rugged Trevor, who lived, by the way, at the same time ever of Meir Simcha of Devinsk as a Meshachachla, in that area of Devinsk, they lived together in the same town. They couldn't even go to the same weddings together. They got into fights and delayed weddings too much. But the rugged Trevor said exactly that. He said this idea that there were Tamim and there were everything, the Nikudos and the Mesoro was all inside there. And it was in Ksav Ashuri, etc. And Lashon HaKodesh, the original one was in Lashon HaKodesh, even though the other Sifritor were in Ksav Ivri. Such an unbelievable line that he says. It may be, but the Ksav Ivris was a different Ksav. But Whether Ivris... Ivris was accepted... I mean, did the Jews... Was that their language? No, no. Ksav, the language may be, but the writing is different. Ksav Ivris, not Ivrit. Ksav Ivris was a different writing. When Moshe got the Torah, or when the Pazro got the Torah from Moshe in this Ksav, they didn't know how to read it? Again... No, the, it, according to the Rugged Trevor, the original Sefer Torah was written Ksav Ashuris, so they'd have it, but it was then copied over in Ivris, as Rameir Simcha says, so that people had no access to it. They would only have Torah Shaval Pet. So originally, it wasn't Ashuris, so, so, so then people locked out other people. Exactly. And then it changed everything. All right, over there. And I'm going to end with this, guys. There's it's very Shlomo over here as well, Redomsker, but I'm, I'm going to keep, keep that for another year. Shkayach, everybody. Have a great Shabbos.